Welcome to the Lost Tapes of History podcast. You're about to eavesdrop on the first few minutes of a private conversation between one of England's monarchs and, frankly, someone just trying to do their job. The date is July 1900. Victoria's son Alfred has died and it has stirred up feelings of her husband's death, also called Alfred. Unsure how to deal with her, her children decide to get her grief counselling. Better get the tissues ready. Come? Ma'am? Ah, Dr. Death, come in. (laughs) I don't know about that. I can't call you Dr. Death, so what shall I call you? Alex, ma'am, is fine. Ah, short for Alexandra. An excellent name. Thank you. I was named after the local pub. I was actually christened Alexandrina Victoria. Really? Mmm. I was told that Victoria was too foreign, but I refused to change it. Is the name Victoria foreign? Sounds British to me. I'm half German, half English. Oh, right. So, I'm punctual, but I have to be sarcastic about it. I can hear a slight German accent. Which is annoying, because my mother insisted on English being my first language. I didn't speak German until I was 20. Uh, sorry, uh, 20. Pick one word to describe your childhood. Ah, <sighs> lonely. And why was that? My father died when I was eight months old. I never knew him. I grew up with my mother and my nanny. Layson. Didn't you have any friends? My dolls were substitutes for friends. How many do you think I had? Five or six? I had 132. It was never enough. I was always lonely. I've developed a dread of solitude. You're not an only child, are you? No, I have two half-siblings, a sister, Theodora, and a brother. Carl. Theodora was 12 and Carl was 15 at my birth. I was treated as if I was an only child. Well, at least you haven't grown up spoiled, selfish and demanding. Did you get on with them well? I was close to Theodora. When she left to return to Germany, I clasped her in my arms and cried as if my heart would break. I sobbed most violently. The thought strikes me that it wouldn't hurt to buy some shares in a tissue company. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? Ah, difficult. She had me under constant surveillance. I wasn't allowed to walk downstairs without holding someone's hand. When I became queen at 18, we were still sleeping in the same room. Please tell me you weren't still in a cot. I fell badly ill once, had a very high fever, thought I was dying. She had no sympathy, not one word of care, and I never forgave her for that. Did that change once you became queen? 
Oh, she and Conroy, her uh, whatever, told me time and time again that I was too ugly, too stupid, too childish to be a queen. That didn't stop with my coronation. Did it ever stop? When she died, I was holding her hand at the end. That must have helped. She had a strong grip. There wasn't much I could do. Your mother made you dependent on others as well as a hatred of being on your own. Have you heard of attachment theory? It makes sense. Take Lord Melbourne. He told me I wasn't allowed to have a private secretary. It implied I was incapable of doing the work myself. You were close to Lord Melbourne? Then he was forced to resign as Prime Minister. I was hysterical with grief. I trusted him implicitly, went through hundreds of handkerchiefs. <gasps> it was him that warned me against marrying Albert. Why? Because he was a cousin and German. There's nothing wrong with marrying a German. Since 1714, every monarch has married a German. So, I pointed out that I was just following precedent. Did he say, if they all jumped off a cliff, would you do that as well? I was wary of marriage as an institution, but I'd been told women can't and shouldn't rule alone. I worried that if I married, I wouldn't have control. He'd obviously forgotten Queen Elizabeth I, who successfully ruled alone. Oh, yes. Where were you when I needed that argument? Ma'am? I'd never seen a strong, successful marriage firsthand. Not my own parents, but also my uncles. Your uncles? They were all unfaithful and unkind to their wives. Why would I want that? Can we talk about Albert? How did you meet? What was he like? Oh, I thought him very handsome. We're first cousins. We were delivered by the same midwife. <laughs> I'm guessing you haven't studied genetics. Did he feel the same? I guess so. I proposed. It was unprecedented for a woman to propose, but I had to. Well, he said yes. And how did you feel? I told Melbourne that falling in love had made me quite stupid. It seemed the ideal situation. He wanted a mother and I wanted a father. Oh, a recipe for disaster. Nice wedding? Eventually, Albert wanted to pick my bridesmaids. <laughs> I said no. Albert wanted us to go on a two-week honeymoon. I said no. Oh dear. I said, you forget, my dearest love, I'm sovereign and that business can stop and wait for nothing. And how did he take that? I said we should be very, very intimate together after we were married and that he might come in and out when he pleased. <clears throat> He obviously took your word for it. You had nine children. How comfortable was Albert with your status as queen? Albert was surrounded by men from an early age. He hated being in the charge of women. He said on many an occasion, I am only the husband and not the master in the house. Not well then. Our children's surname is Gelf. 
which is not his surname. He couldn't understand why they couldn't take his name. I said, darling, royalty don't need surnames. It's not like we need it for ID purposes. Did he try and take more power for himself? He moved his writing table next to mine. Our thrones were side by side. Wherever possible, he was physically next to me. I hope that doesn't extend to toilets. How did you feel about that? I did everything he said. I was his child. He was my master. In return, I expected him to be with me as much as possible and to have his undivided attention. I felt that was a good contract. How did Albert get on with your family? He didn't like Nanny Lazen, called her the old hag, tried to convince me she'd given me a bad upbringing and that was the reason I was so warped. Hang on. He said you were warped? He tried to dismiss Layson because he disagreed with how she was looking after our daughter, Vicky. I shouted that I was sorry I had ever married him. Oh. He refused to talk to me for days. I apologised the same day, but he had none of it. What happened? He said... Take the child away and do as you like, and if she dies, you will have it on your conscience. Whoa, bit much. He fired Lazen without consulting me and then lied to me about it. He told me she had gone back to Germany for her health. So when you called him the most perfect of human beings, you were being sarcastic, right? Albert was not a popular man. Well, I don't like him and I never met him. Did you ever feel lonely in the marriage? I did, even in our choice of homes. We sold Brighton Pavilion and created our home at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. Balmoral was another favourite. Both in the middle of nowhere. It felt like being in a citadel. I had very few female friends. Were your children a comfort? I got pregnant weeks after the wedding. In the first ten years of marriage, I was pregnant for seven. I hate childbirth. I didn't want to have a large family. Obviously, Albert didn't get the memo. He wins. He's not physically incapacitated with childbirth. I suffered from a deep depression after Bertie. Mind you, I always get depressed when I think of Bertie. Layabout. Did Albert understand your depression? I had to use chloroform with my last baby. It was exhausting. I had tantrums or combustibles, as Albert called them. Whenever I had one, he'd walk away and send me a note telling me to calm down. How dare he? I'd like to tell him to calm down. Uh, you seem upset. Ma'am, I think Albert was very controlling. By making himself your moral superior, you felt inadequate. If you felt morally and physically flawed, you'd surrender your power. I hate to say it, but you had a lucky escape when he died. My dear Alex, how very astute you are. I must beg of you that what we discuss in this session 
remains private. That content in no way reaches anyone's ears, particularly my children or my ministers. Do I have your assurance of that? Of course, ma'am. I'm not taking any notes and I won't speak a word of our discussion with anyone. You're not a spy, are you? <laughs> no, Alex. What I have to say is somewhat alternative to what you have been led to believe. Okay. Oh, dear. How can I put this in public? I wore black and a locket of Albert's hair around my neck. I howled with grief and spoke about how tortured I was by sleepless nights. Yes. I left the blue room at Windsor as it was when he died as a shrine. I said, my life as I considered it was gone, past, closed. I dwelt in a world of desolation, darkness and loneliness. You were a bit melodramatic, yes. I signed my letters, The Broken-Hearted Widow. I decreed the entire court should mourn for two years. I told Vicky I didn't want to be roused out of grief. Even Bertie told me he'd devote his life to comforting me. That lasted all of five minutes. With you so far, ma'am. In private, Albert's death was a liberation, allowing me to realise my true self. Since he left me, I have the courage of a lioness. My dear Alex, I have written a journal every day of my life. I am incredibly self-aware. Are you telling me it's all an act? When one looks at it, I have tremendous advantages to playing the depressed widow. Such as? Albert's death has boosted my popularity with my people. Yeah, I can see that. I enjoy food. I can eat as much as I want. I tell everyone that eating is my reaction to stress. And black is terribly forgiving for the larger figure. Well, that's true. It is. I lace my claret with whiskey and have pleasant evenings, reading to myself in front of the fire. I read Jane Eyre again recently. I find it intensely interesting and quite creepy. I see. I find visitors dull and boring, so I try and put them off. When I write letters, I talk endlessly about my dreary existence. But why? If I was having a marvellous time, they'd all want to drop in and bore me senseless. And if that doesn't work, and they still ask to visit, I say, yes, if I'm still alive, then you come. But what about your children? Your grandchildren? I have 42 of the little darlings. They're incredibly boring and tedious. I didn't talk to my daughter for seven months once. She thought it was because I disapproved of the man she'd fallen in love with. And it wasn't? 
No, she was just dribbling on about him all the time. There's nothing more boring than other people's love stories. True. I insist on dining alone. The noise of large dinners irritates me. I've always disliked Buckingham Palace. I don't stay there anymore. You don't seem to like being anywhere, to be honest. I'm more reluctant to be out and about, it's true. Oh, I have this marvellous rule that if anyone sees me in my carriage, they have to hide in a bush. <laughs> it's such fun to see them leaping out of the way. But what about running the country? Oh, the Queen's a figurehead now. Sovereigns don't get involved in politics as they once did. I hate all those ceremonies and functions. Didn't the Times print a letter to you begging you to come back into public life? I replied, of course. Said the grief was still too raw and to cancel my subscription. Besides, my request for a private secretary was still denied and the dispatch boxes were piling up. You've not felt red until you see a dispatch box or a hundred dispatch boxes stacked in a cupboard. What did you do? Kept the cupboard closed, of course. But your household thought you were losing all reason, that grief was driving you mad. I was giving them more work to do. Have you tried cleaning rooms when people refuse to leave them? So does that mean that you weren't really upset when your servant John Brown died? Ah, oh, ah, oh, no. He was a dear friend, not a servant. I confided in him. He didn't undermine me like Albert, didn't treat me like a child. It's true that he liked his drink, but I don't blame him for that. But your reaction in public was extreme. When he died, I pretended I'd lost the use of my legs and couldn't walk for several months. That must have been limiting. More limiting for the chap that had to carry me to the Riviera nine times. So you're okay then? My dear Alex, I've survived eight assassination attempts. I'm fine. Oh, no, hang on. I'm terribly upset. Next time, it's Edward VII and the Doctor. Check the blood pressure. The Lost Tapes of History podcast is a Synth 79 production. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to get more episodes. To fact check what you've heard on this monarch, visit our website, losttapesofhistory.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at Synth79P and use the hashtag Lost Tapes of History.